Good morning. Welcome here to Midland Free. We're so glad you're here to worship with us on Christmas. My name is Jeremy. I preach here, and I'm delighted that you're here as well, whether you're a regular member, a new attender, or just family and friends from out of town. Welcome to Midland Free, and Merry Christmas. Okay. All right. Good. We'll try it again tonight, 6 p.m. Merry Christmas. Uh, today we're talking about Jesus because that's what we Christians do on Christmas as we celebrate his birthday. Um, and so in general, most sermon series you hear around the time of Christmas should be talking about Jesus. Uh, this year's theme has been victory in Jesus, and we've been uh, taking a couple different routes to get there, and it's been encouraging to me. I hope it's been encouraging to you as well. Today, we're definitely going to look at Jesus, and we're definitely going to focus on victory in Jesus, but the way that we're going to get there is a little bit different. Um, I'm going to take an interesting route, which I often like to do, but I think at the end of the day, you'll benefit. So, in order to begin this journey, I need a volunteer, and preferably someone under the age of 12, as um, there are many children with us here today, because our children workers actually get a break. Let's see here. I see all kinds of hands. Um, there's somebody in the very back row. I don't know who it is, but he's going crazy. So come on up. Whoever you are, come on up. Hurry, you better run, because my clock is ticking, and I don't want to get in trouble. All right. Come on down. All right. Surprise, guys. I just saw this a couple minutes ago, so here we are. Um, all right. So what's your name? Aiden Coons, is that right? All right, Aiden. I have something in my hand that could be yours today, if uh, only the price is right. But yes, uh, can you tell the rest of the folks out in the audience what this is? What these are? What are these? Whoops. Quarters, exactly right. And this side of the quarter we call the head, exactly right. And this side we call the tail. Now, is there a tail on this thing? No. Are you sure? That's a bird. Well, there might be. Okay. Some of these newfangled quarters, though, I don't think they have tails. Anyways, so I'm willing to give you all three of these today, but I just need your help. And the help that I need is this. How many sides of the coin are there? Two. Exactly right. So if you only had the head, would you have a quarter? No, probably not. If you, it's not even possible, really, to think about. I asked you a weird question, didn't I? It's not even possible to have just the head or have the tail. In order to have the whole coin, you have to have both the heads and the tails. Now, if I was a real magician, I'd probably reach behind your ear or something like that and pull out a quarter that I didn't have, but you already know I have it, so it's not much of a trick. Here's the only trick I know. Okay, you ready? Can you help me? This is going to be a bit dangerous. Are you a risk taker? Maybe? All right. Okay, mom and dad, you signed the waiver, right? Okay, good. Uh, let's do this. Climb up on stand on top of this. Do not try this at home. I'm sure no one at home wants you to do that. Go it's ahead. Good. That good. We're not at home, then. That's right. We're not at home. <laughs> My son told me this morning, he was kind of grumpy. It's Christmas. He wants to open Christmas presents. I got to tell the story while you stand there, see how long you last. All right. Uh, he said, Dad, church is boring. I said, oh, what's boring? He said, the sermon. Oh. <laughs> Man, ouch. 
There, sometimes that's true. Okay, get it from the mouth of All right, this one, at least for this five minutes, hopefully is not boring. The rest of it, I think, won't be boring either. But I'm sure this won't be boring. thank you very much. All right, so you hold these three quarters. I'm going to show you the only trick I know. This really is the only trick I know. And what I need, I'm going to unbutton my sleeve. All right. What I, oops, they need to be in a perfect stack, so you might have to use two hands. All right, so if this trick works, I'll let you keep these. You go ahead and set those quarters right there. Now just remind me, how many sides of the coin are there? Two. You're exactly right. There you go. Good job. Jump. Okay. That's all I've got. <laughs> Run out after that. <laughs> Two sides of the coin. That's the path we're going to take to get there today. I always forget whenever I'm preparing a sermon, there's kids. I'm like, oh man, there's kids. Because I'm going to talk to you today about the nature of the hypostatic union. <laughs> I am. And then I'm also going to move on to the nature of the, hum the human divine union as well. And those are essentially two sides of the same coin. The two sides of the coin I want to talk to you about today are these. Here's the um, first. There are two unions which make Chris Christmas a reality. You can't have Christmas, really, if you don't have these. You just got Santa Claus and Jingle Bells, and that's boring and goes away tomorrow. So here's the thing. If you want a real Christmas, you need these two things. You need the union of the sun to humanity... That's one side of the coin. And then the other thing you need is the union of humans to the sun. That's the other side of the coin. This is what Christmas actually is. You know, it's funny, even in Christian circles, we don't even know what Christmas is. We think it's just God becoming a baby, which is amazing, but it's even more than that. Here's the thing about Christmas. It's two unions. One, the sun to humanity, and second, humanity to the sun. Now the place I'm going to find that today is in the Gospel of John. Uh, if your name is John, you've got a good name. Here's a cool gospel. Uh, but it's different from the rest. The others are called synoptic because they're similar. This one's a different type of gospel. He's very different. And let me show you some of the differences you probably just take for granted. But these are all from John. These are unique things that only the Gospel of John has. None of the other gospel writers have these. So if you know this story and you think it's everywhere, newsflash, it's only in John. And it may, in fact, be some of the most famous stories of everything that Jesus did. So, for example, here's one. Uh, Nicodemus, right? I think you, here's, here's a slide of the unique inclusions in the Gospel of John. Uh, one of which is Nicodemus. Nicodemus um, is... I think we'll have a slide, and if we don't, eventually look it up online. But Nicodemus is only in the book of John. The Samaritan woman is only in the book of John. The raising, of Laz the raising from the dead of Lazarus is only in the book of John. The washing of the disciples' feet is only in the book of John. And the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he prays for you and me is only in the book of John. Not to mention that one verse that we who grown up in church know so well, which is what? John 3, 16. Exactly right. All these big things are only from the book of John. Now, if you look at those, you'll probably notice there's a pattern in them. Nicodemus, Jesus, 
raising someone from the dead, the Samaritan woman, you know, Lazarus, or sorry, I jumped ahead, but you get the point. They're unique. They're different. And the point is this. Here's what John's trying to do. In chapter 20, verse 31, the writer spells out his purpose. This is very important if you're learning to study the Bible. Sometimes the writers just flat tell you, this is what I'm trying to do. Sometimes they don't, but they do communicate. And here's the point. John is saying, these things are written. Why? Why did I write this whole gospel? Why did I go to the trouble of compiling this account? Why did I stay up late at night? Why did I refine, edit, revise, whatever he did? Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's one side. And number two, here's the other side. That by believing, you may have life in his name. And there's actually the two sides of the coin right there, the two unions. So I'm going to take you to the book of John today, and uh, I'm going to show you some of that. And I want, want you also to see, without any references to a current film that's opened recently, there are a number of themes that pop up even today in stuff like dualism. For example, John uses uses techniques that none of the other authors use. He, he contrasts light and darkness, the light side and the dark side. You'll see that in today's text and all over the whole book. He contrasts life and death, saying it's one way or the other. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's just life or death. He contrasts love and hate. He contrasts from above and from below. It's absolutely beautiful gospel. My favorite commentator says of this work, Leon Morris, it's a good, good work for today because he says it's a pool into which a child can wade and at the same time an elephant can swim. The Gospel of John is profound. It is unique, it is beautiful, it is simple, and it is deep. So today we'll start off at the very beginning and work our way through the whole thing. Or not. We'll just cover the first four verses. Um... And what you will see in these four verses are three words that are very, very simple that you've probably read over a thousand times before. But with these three small words, you can actually debunk and defeat any historical heresy regarding uh, Christianity or the Trinity. These words alone are enough to take the two people that come up to your door and ding dong and ask you a few questions and hand you some literature and say, no, you're actually not one of us. With these three words, you can determine what the Trinity actually is. It is profound, it is eternal, it is enormous, it's historical, orthodox, bottom line, fundamental Christianity. What is Christmas all about? Was, with, and became. Here are the three words that I want you to see in this text, which are so simple, yet so profound. John puts them all together, and he uses this thing called the word which in Greek is the logos. It's this idea that the Greeks maintained. And he's going to completely redefine it and flip it on their heads and say, this is what that actually is. What is this thing we call the word? Well, you'll learn through these three words, was, with, and became. Through these three words, you can define the nature of Christ. Was, with, and became. So let's read that text then, and I think you'll see those words jump out, and what I'll do is I'll work through those three words, and then after that, I'll read it to you in another translation, and then we'll apply it to your lives. We'll say, okay, this is, this is what the text means in its original context, 
And then we'll make the next step, which is to say now, this is what it means to you. The first side of the coin is the original context. The other side is your context today. So, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, that is, in the beginning all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, remember that Johannine theme? And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here are the three words, was, with, and became. And I want to start with the first one. And uh, this is essential Christianity 101, and it is this, was. It says, in the beginning was the word. Now, whoever this word figure is, what the apostle is saying is that in the beginning, the word was. In other words, if you look at me, there is a start and an end date. I don't have the end date yet, but we know there will be one. There's going to be Jeremy Lobdell was born on this date at this time at this whatever. But whoever this word figure is, it just says he was. There is no beginning. In fact, before the beginning, the word was. So the word just was. What is this you speak of that just is? Well, I don't know, but it was and is and is to come. Whatever it is, it just is. <laughs> it doesn't need space, time, air, matter, anything else. It just is. It exists outside of all things. When there is nothing, there is it. It is. It was. It is to come. Whatever this thing is, it just was. What other word do you use for it? <laughs> it just is. It exists independently with no need for food or offering or things that you give to other pagan deities. It just is. It exists in and of itself. The word was. The word was also God. Oh, well, that goes beyond this nebulous, ethereal thing. It's not just the force. It is specific. It is God. So the word was tells us that it is eternal, that it is absolute in its existence, and that it is also, in, later in this text, it says it's an agent of creation. Whatever this thing was, everything was created through him. So it exists absolutely. It is God, and it is an agent of of creation. So then, if you are a monotheist, or if you believe that there is one God, you will say, okay, that could be Allah, that could be, you know, Yehovah, that could be God the Father. But it still doesn't say that there was a God the Son. All it says is that there was this one thing that always existed. However, if you take one more step and you read the next verse, what it says is that he was in the beginning with God. In other words, whoever this word was 
is not the same in person as God the Father. So wait, 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 there's more than one God? No, there's only one God because the word was God, but he's also with God. Well, how can you be was and with at the same time? Well, the only human analogy I can come up with, and it actually all human analogies fall short, by the way, they all have errors, is a little bit like this. There's a marriage. If you consider a marriage one unit, one household, there is one family or one unit or one household, but there is a distinction among the persons. It's Mr. and Mrs. Jeremy Lobdell, that's true, but the Mrs. is not me and I am not her. We are one, but we are different persons was and with. There is this family, the Lobdells, and they are with one another. So essentially what the word with does is, is it distinguishes between the persons. It says that these two are not the same in personhood, although they are the same in essence, although they are the same in power, although they are the same in deity, although they are the same in worthiness of worship, they are different was and with. This, by the way, gets rid of all the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints that show up at your front door. Jesus is co-eternal. He never had a beginning. He is completely God. That is very distinct from what your visitors might say. There is was and there is with, but here is what makes Christmas is the last word. So just to recap, was and with together assert the deity without compromising the distinction. Was and with mean deity and distinction. Deity and distinction. Was deity with distinction. Now the third word. Hang on there, kids. This will be valuable to you someday. Became. Became. This essentially means that it took on something that it previously was not. Previously it was, but at some point it became. The word became. Now, this is really dangerous for me as a preacher, too, because I want to step into heresy and say that at some point Jesus was not. But what I do want to say, now listen very carefully, from our human perspective, God is outside of that, and it's no thing to him, but when we look at it from an uh, inside-of-time uh, approach, we say that in the Old Testament, God the Son had not became a human being yet. So in a sense, at that point, there was no Jesus, if you will. There was a time when Jesus was not. <laughs> there never was a time when God the Son was not. But Jesus of Nazareth was not born until 3 BC. So that's what John is trying to communicate to you in, in this verse, in verse 14, is the eternal thing, the logos, the one that was with God and was God, became flesh. It added to deity perfect humanity. That eternal pre-existent thing that made everything else took that thing that it made and incorporated it into its own essence. And that had never happened before. This is why. This is crazy. This is over the top. This is like you adding Play-Doh to yourself. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? Kids, if you made a little Play-Doh creation, would you pick up the Play-Doh and say, hmm, I want to become that? <laughs> of course not. 
But God does. He takes dirt that he made and formed into DNA and says, yeah, I'm going to add that to me. Eternal, all-satisfied, perfect deity takes and adds to itself and incorporates humanity. This is was, this is with, and this is became. This is what it means when eternity past steps into the present and God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, adds deity to humanity. And that thing is the absolutely necessary thing in order for us to be saved. What happens to human creatures is that we, because of our sin, are separate from God. So God is here and we're over here and there's no way to bridge that gap. God, us, there's a problem. But when God decides to become one of us, then what you have in the middle is the God-man. And now the gap that is infinite and uncrossable has been bridged by the perfect uh, mediator who is God the Son, both fully God and fully man. That's what you have in the incarnation and in the nature of the hypostatic union in this incredible first side of the coin where God becomes flesh. So he who was, listen, I'm going to summarize it and then we're going to apply it to your life, okay? I know that was theological. Now we're going to make it practical. He who was God the Son, he who was with God the Father, became a human being. And that person's name is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of David. Mr. Was with became. Mr. Was with became. He who was and is to come became. Now, let me read to you uh, another translation. You won't find this one uh, sold in bookstores. You can figure out where it came from perhaps later. This is how I would uh, summarize this incredible theological truth, and then I'll connect it to your life. So here's a, here's a rereading of that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does all that mean? Let's read it again, perhaps differently, for the first time. Here we go. John 1, you won't find this in your Bibles, uh, John 1, 1 through 4. In the absolute beginning, God the Son already existed. And God the Son existed in relationship with God. And God the Son existed as God. This one existed in the absolute beginning in relationship with God. God the Son was the direct agent through whom all things came to be. And without God the Son, not one single little itty-bitty thing came to be. In God the Son, there was life, and the life was the light of humanity. And, verse 14, God the Son added to his deity humanity, and he took up residence among us, and we gazed upon his glorious character, glorious character as the unique Son of his Father, full of grace and truth. This is the union of the Son to humanity. Now, connect the dots. That's one side of the coin. You don't have a quarter without both. Here's the other side of the coin. You've probably heard it said before. The Christmas miracle, which we just described, allows for the salvation miracle. 
The Christmas miracle allows for the salvation miracle. Let me show you what that means. What I think it means is, I think, actually, I think you or perhaps some others typically think that means Jesus came to earth so that he could die for our sins so that we could be saved. True. But I think the miracles are actually even bigger than the fact that God came to earth. In fact, Jesus may have been on the earth a couple different times before that, just not taking on flesh. The real miracle is the union of God to humanity. So the Christmas union allows for the salvation union. The Christmas union allows for the salvation union. In other words, here's my theme. This is the way we might say it thematically. Because Jesus united himself to humanity, I can be united to Jesus. Because Jesus united himself to humanity, then I can be united to Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing, because once I am in him, then what essentially happens is it's a bit like an umbrella. The umbrella of Christ is over the top of me, and all that is applied to Christ is therefore applied to me as well. So I get this amazing plethora of benefits. For example, Christ is absolutely perfect. He is the perfect Lamb of God. And based on His perfection and His sacrifice, because I am united to Him, my sins can be forgiven. Because I'm under that umbrella. If Jesus didn't unite to humanity and He didn't unite me to Him, then I don't get this. But if I am united to Him, then my sins can be forgiven. If I'm united to Jesus, and Jesus is the living water from which one drinks and is never thirsty again, then that means I can finally be fulfilled. And all these longings and desires that I have for other things that never quite add up will actually finally be quenched. My thirst is full. I'm good because of Jesus. And ultimately, the future has hope. You know, I mean, I can hope for some long-lost dead uncle who's going to give me some inheritance that I never knew, but the reality is kaput. At some point, that stuff all rusts and rots. But if I want an eternal inheritance, if I want something that'll last, I am in Christ. Christ the victor has been promised by his Father an eternal inheritance in heaven. And therefore, if I'm united to him, I get some of that too. The Son himself will share his inheritance with me. This is a beautiful thing. And so this is why I say the Christmas miracle leads to the salvation miracle. Because when you get saved, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity, comes into your heart. Now the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. Father's not the Son, Son's not the Spirit, Spirit's not the Father, but they're all God. So because of this, because the Spirit and the Son are united, then when the Spirit comes in me and I am united to the Spirit, that means I'm united to the Son, which means I'm united to the Father. I don't become deity, but I am taken under the umbrella of the blessing of the Son. So the Christmas union allows for the salvation union. The Christmas miracle allows for the salvation miracle. This is how it works. I fleshed it out pretty quick. But if you think about it, there's a lot of implications for that. When we go through life, uh, forgiveness is one of the greatest gifts 
you can ever receive. It's hard to get forgiveness on a number of reasons. Number one is it's hard to ask for it. You know, we're prideful, we're sinful, we don't want to admit our mistake. Moreover, other people are prideful and sinful, and we're concerned about what they might do when we do. So if I ask someone for forgiveness, they could leverage it against me. They could make fun of me. They could rub it in my face. They could whatever. They could whatever. They could whatever. I'm taking a risk. But in Christ, if I have true forgiveness, then I can feel secure and I can feel safe so that even if that other person doesn't forgive me, I'm still forgiven because I'm in Christ. And that is a very good place to be. Look, the Bible says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And I think we often read that as a rhetorical statement, which it is, but you could even read it literally at the very beginning and say, who? Who will accuse us? Well, so-and-so. Well, okay. Are they more powerful than Jesus? Have they accomplished what he did? Can they beat him? If so, then I guess they can. But if not, then who? Well, the devil, he will accuse me. Well, is the devil victorious? No, of course not. So where are these thoughts coming from? If I identify them from a specific person in a specific place and say that accusation is coming from thus, I can say, are they better than Jesus? Well, if not, what do I have to worry about? Who, who is it? <laughs> you know, if it's God the Father or God the Son or God the Spirit and they're convicting us, then that's something. But if it's something other than them, it's no thing. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Christ is not condemned. He's glorified. He's resurrected. He's vindicated. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you're in Him and that umbrella falls over you, water off a duck's back. No big deal. So if I'm united to Jesus, my sins can be forgiven. If I'm united to Jesus, my uh, longings can be fulfilled. It's very easy in this world, I suppose, especially right now at Christmas time, to run out of gas. You know, I have definitely noticed a significant increase in traffic, even here in Midland. <laughs> you know? I am going by our mall, which even though it only has two or three stores, <laughs> I'm still finding a lot of traffic now. I'm like, what is this? I thought I moved to a nice, boring city that I could enjoy. <laughs> And now I have to deal with all this traffic? Why? Because it's the hustle and bustle of the holidays. And we know things are going to get frantic at this time of year. But things are frantic all year long. And it's easy to run out of gas, both physically and metaphorically. So what do you do? Just think positive. You know, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, what do you need? A few of your favorite things? No, of course not. They all rust and they go away. You don't need a few of your favorite things. You need Jesus. You need to be united to him. And when you're united to him, then you have his love. Just like a marriage, when you're united, you have love, you have connection, you have grace, you have forgiveness, you have healing, you have touch, you have restoration. The union is everything. You need to be united to Jesus. And because Jesus united himself to humanity, you can be united to him. And therefore, you can be Fulfilled. Finally, last thing, because I can be united to Jesus, I can have hope. The future has hope. John 1.12, same 
same book, just a few, cha- few verses later, after verses 1 through 4, before 14, says this, before he's even got into any of the stories about Jesus, he says, but to all who receive him, to all be- who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you are a child of God, that means you receive God's inheritance. You get it. When? When God dies. <laughs> when did God die? Well, God the Father never did, but Jesus, God the Son, did on the cross. And because of his death on the cross, you receive the inheritance of the richest blessings that you have when you are united with Christ. To experience this, Romans 8, verses 16 and 7 says, The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Because Jesus united Himself to humanity, I can be united to Him. And that means... I get forgiveness of sins, that means I get fulfilled, and that means I get a future inheritance. And that is a pretty good deal. There's a young man that came up on the stage today, and I said, you get this right, and I'm going to give you this. Here you go. (laughs) Oh, that's exciting. Well, it is pretty cool to get to stand up on a chair in front of all your friends. But what does he walk away with? Three coins. He needs to remember that there's two sides of the same coin, and to have one coin, you have to have both. And the same is true for you today, Christian. If you want to walk away with an inheritance worth far more than 75 cents, you've got to remember that there are two sides of the same coin. The Christmas miracle is not just that Jesus came, but that God took humanity and added it to deity. And as a result, there is now this God-man that sits in the gap And if we will take advantage of that benefit that is offered to us, then we ourselves can be united to deity. And now we receive the inheritance. Now we walk away with a coin. Now we have something in our pocket to hold on to that's way better than anything else we can imagine. The Christmas miracle allows for the salvation miracle. The Christmas union allows for the salvation union. My prayer and hope for you today and for all your friends, if you haven't experienced the union of Christ, that you'll do so for the first time. You'll repent of your sins, that you'll believe in Jesus, and you'll fulfill the purpose of John to have the Holy Spirit come and live inside your heart and bear witness to these things, saying, yes, you are, in fact, a child of God. Father, we praise you because you're a good and gracious God, and you do things that nobody else could do. When we look forward to Christmas, we expect some sort of little gift under the tree or something else. But you did so much better. You gave us yourself. You took Jesus and sent him here. And Jesus took us and put him us in him. And now we have the chance to be united with him. Lord, for the forgiveness of sins, for our complete fulfillment, for our hope in the future, God cause us this year to be more closely united to Christ than we ever have been before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.